If you've ever got a student to do something by calling it a game, you might be a teacher. Being a teacher sometimes means finding ways around limitations, problems, or struggles to keep things on track. We learn to improvise and adapt. But when it comes to teaching language arts in our school, we don't have to find workarounds. Loyola Press took the long view when they created Voyages in English, the brilliant K-8 language arts program. The fundamentals of grammar and writing that students learn enable them to become effective writers, which can help improve performance on standardized tests and grow into successful communicators. The flexible framework of Voyages in English is adaptable to any teaching style and any student's abilities. With practice, the mechanics build in complexity over time. It just all works together. Visit voyagesinenglish.com to learn more, then order a sample. With Voyages in English, there are no crazy workarounds, just solid help for today's language arts teachers. Catholic Teachers Lounge with Jill and Colleen. Welcome to the Catholic Teachers Lounge, the only podcast by Catholic school teachers for Catholic school teachers. I'm Colleen and I'm here with Jill and we are grateful to be together again to laugh, explore and connect. Thank you to Loyola Press for sponsoring us and for you, the teachers, for doing what you do every day. How are you doing today, Jill? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. The um, the idea that that came to me for today came from a teacher. But before we jump into her idea, I don't know if I've ever asked you this. What's the smallest class and the largest class that you ever taught? And is there a class like I have a number in my head of like once it hits a certain size, I don't do it effectively anymore. I'm curious if you've had that experience. Yeah, I think my my smallest was like 11 and my largest was probably 32. And I um I talked about this a lot when I was assistant superintendent because the superintendent superintendent and I would talk about ranges and what's like the ideal range for operational vitality, like at what point can you pay the yep. can you pay the bills and not interrupt learning. Um but with only my teacher brain on, I think there's a sweet spot somewhere around 20 because you can talk to every kid in a meaningful way and uh, the room doesn't feel so tight. So I think around 2022 is like this sweet spot to be as a teacher. I remember when I taught um, at least one year when I taught eighth grade that we had two eighth grade classes and they were each 18 kids. Mm. It was glorious. (laughs) Between 18 and 22 is my favorite class size. Um, those class sizes are hard to come by now. I'm in so many classrooms and so many places where, um, class sizes are large. And that's actually what we're going to talk about today is, Mm -hmm. is class size. And there is such a thing as having too small of a class too, because I think I had a class of eight ones. It's not even, it's like small group work. It's not, it's not, (laughs) you can't do much with it. So (laughs) yeah. Okay. And a shout out before before we even talk about the too big. So I just want to do a a side shout out to every principal everywhere who's had had to figure out like, should this be two classes or one? Because everyone thinks with just their Mm -hmm. teacher hat on and they're like, but I want 22 kids in this class. Like it doesn't work that way if you can't split them correctly. So a shout out to every principal who has to deal with all of us teachers talking about our ideals when in reality there is a, you know, there's a system to this that does have to work out financially. So that's, and space and like all these other leadership things have to be considered. So shout out to them while we get to talk about teacher stuff. 
That's right. Yeah. 27 is per, my personal max. Anything 27 is like a big, big class for me. I've taught up mm-hmm. to 32 in a classroom before and not well, not well. So yeah. 27 is, is my max. And I don't, I don't like that. So for me, it's better, smaller. All right. So, um, we are going to talk about a, a large class dilemma that, um, Vanessa Crawford, she's a fourth grade teacher at most Holy Trinity Catholic school in Phoenix. And um, she invited me into her classroom to take a look at the space. I worked with her a lot last year. She, her fourth grade class last year, she had her, she was doing blended learning. So she's got her, her children trained very well to maximize, you know, rotation time, not losing instructional time in between those rotations. And she used her space really well and moved in some flexible seating and the teacher table and the whole, Mm -hmm. just, she did a really great job this year. Her class is 28 students. And so when she told me that, I was like, oh, like for me, that's hard. So I Mm -hmm. was really empathizing with her. She's like, I don't know. And she was thinking space. So she said, can you come in my classroom with me? Let's just talk about the use of space. How am I going to have them rotate? How am I going to, you know, do the things I did last year? It was working so well that these are the instructional methods I want to use. This was effective, but how Mm -hmm. do I do it with all those bodies in the room? And I've I've experienced this in, you know, in, in other classrooms where, you know, I'll, I'll say to teachers, you know, it would be nice if you could try this different methodology and all that. And then once I get in the classroom, they're, they're just squished in like sardines and there, there is no way for movement. So, um, that's probably, it's problematic. So here we go. I I go into her classroom and she's like, okay, here's, here's what I want to do. How do I build in um, maybe it doesn't have to be station rotation. Maybe we can, you know, figure out functionality a different way, but how do I build in? I have to build in student choice and I need to build in some individual spaces for when they're on their device or when they're sitting and reading independently. And so what in this room is a necessity and what is a luxury And one of the things that she had in her room from last year, she had comfy seating in her room last year. So like a couple of bean bags and a couch and things. What she did was she moved those out and gave them to the fifth grade teacher and said, these belong to those students. They know how to use them. Mm -hmm. You know, they've been trained on all of this so that it can go with the students. Um, As for her, she showed me these, um, I I'm not, it looks like to me like a TV tray where it has like the flat worktop on it it, and a a student can sit on the floor, put it over their legs. And there's like a couple of little Mm -hmm. bins in the side. They could put an iPad in it, their books, their stuff in it. Can you picture this? Yeah, I can. That's cool. Okay. So she had a stack of those. The way she had her classroom arranged was she had the desks, she had, she has desks and chairs, and then she has one teacher table for small group for her to work with students. And so that space is protected. That's necessity, right? Mm -hmm. And then the student desks, she's like, does every student need to have a desk? Marinate on that for one second, Jill, because I actually want you Mm -hmm. to answer that question for me. Um, But so she had them set up in fours and I think she had 26 desks in the classroom. She was still short two desks and we're getting pretty tight in there. So she said, what can I do? She said, I have this stack of, you know, she had like maybe six or seven of these personal 
um, desks. And I, so we came up with, we were just brainstorming. Yeah, here's what you can do with those. Students can stand with them at the back window on the shelf. They can put it on the shelf, put their laptop on top of it, put in their headphones. There, she was like, oh, okay, I like that. They can sit on the floor. They can do things, you know, lean up against the wall. We can use that space over there. They can sit up against the wall. They can use this space over here. So we figured out a few ways that we could have students at least do individual work. If you can't put more, you know, put a carpet somewhere and have more group space, you can at least build in some some spaces for individuals to work. So let's go back to that question I just asked. Does every student in a classroom need a desk? No, they just need like their space, like their tub or their hook. I mean, if as long as you have um, a spot in that room that feels like it's yours, it doesn't necessarily have to be where you're seated, but there's some safety in knowing that my things are in one place and I maybe have some options so I don't feel like I'm getting crowded. I mean, there's a little bit of safety in having a spot at a desk, but if all of my things are in a secure place, then I could be mobile as a student, I think. Okay. So that's, I answered it very similarly because I thought the same thing. I see the pros and cons of this and I'm sure there are people, whoever is listening is thinking you probably have strong feelings on this. Absolutely. Every child needs to have their own space or no, I think we could roll with this a little bit mm -hmm. and maybe every child mm -hmm. doesn't have to have a desk right, per se, right. but a space. Yes. And I said, cubbies, like every student anyway should have, you're right, a hook or a cubby, a place for their mm -hmm. things to be safe. I want to think about this in a, in a different way too. So large class sizes, like we all want to grumble when we get that number, right? Like, oh my gosh, yep. how mm -hmm. am I going to do this with X number of kids? I had mm -hmm. a moment in undergrad, um, the class was adolescent psychology and it was a lecture. There were, it was probably one of my only giant lectures in undergrad where there were just hundreds of kids in this giant lecture hall and a professor and a grad assistant down at the front. And she made a point to teach us. I mean, she was, she was tough as nails. And she said, the size of this room does not change the way I'm going to teach you. And let me tell you how I'm going to do it. You're going to have an assigned seat. I'm going to learn the seating chart. I'm going to know all of you. And we're going to we're going to come up with ways in here that it's not going to be all lecture based. So even though there were hundreds mm -hmm. of us in there, I had an assigned seat. She'd call him, she'd cold call on me like, "Hey Jill, number 3." I mean, she wow. just she just did it. And she also like we had partners. I mean, this is before this was pretty mainstream. But like I had my turn and talk partner, I had my person in front of me partner, my person behind me, like we had all these assigned partners around us, which kept us super accountable. You couldn't skip this lecture because she would know that you weren't there. It wasn't just taking attendance. Oh it was gosh. like accountability. So all of the things that you would do if there were 20 kids in the room, she was doing with probably two to 300 in the room. And it wasn't because she was working harder. She just got really structured. So by having okay. a structure, she didn't have to work 10 times as hard. It was, I mean, 10 times as many papers to grade, but not like the student experience was still, I still remember who I sat by. I still remember what we talked about. It was very much like being in a small class. That's awesome. That's great. And again, like great way to wrap up the conversation because that's the bell. There's the bell. <laughs> There's the bell. So thank you for the energy boost though. We love exploring your ideas and affirming your efforts. Teachers keep the suggestions coming in and tune into our next episode as we talk about more great ideas from fellow teachers, hopefully things that you can put into practice and think about in your own classrooms. We will see you next time.